following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. I'll give you a moment to find that in your own Bibles. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Chloe. May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. It's Easter at last. We've survived 40 days of Lent. Together, if physically separate, we've walked the way of the cross, reading the gospel accounts of the events leading up to the arrest, the trial and the death of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've found those Bible readings, which are so familiar to me, resonated differently in these strange times. Because in the few short weeks, the coronavirus has changed everything. I read the story of Jesus, who against all advice, determinedly headed to Jerusalem, even though he knew the authorities there wanted him dead. But this year, as I thought about Jesus choosing to walk towards danger, I found myself thinking too of all the medical staff, who knowing just how many of their number have been sick and died of the virus, yet get up every morning and walk towards danger to care for other people. And then last week we marked Palm Sunday with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, albeit sadly with no donkeys this year. But this time, when I heard again the story of crowds lining the streets to cheer a new kind of king, a different, humbler sort of hero, an image popped into my mind of another set of people lining their streets every Thursday to cheer and clap our new humbler heroes, 
not celebrities or business leaders, but NHS staff and carers and all those other key workers whose value we now see so clearly. What a difference context makes. So let's step back for a while to the original context, but let's keep an ear out for modern resonances. So back we go, 2,000 years to Jerusalem, to be with the followers of Jesus, his disciples. This was a precarious world, a world where lives could be snatched away without warning any day, from famine or war or violence, or from disease. And while that precariousness continued in many parts of the world until now, most of us have been blessed to grow up in safer times. But now, we're all back there. The virus could strike any of us, or someone we love any day. And no matter how carefully I try to reorganise my life, no matter how well I plan, even if I manage to land an online shopping slot or track down flour and toilet rolls, I can't put things right. I can't regain the illusion of control over my life that I once had. But you know, nor could the disciples. Three years earlier, into their world of fear and instability, of occupation and oppression, had come hope in the form of Jesus. Their friend and leader had taught them, walked with them, led them. They'd seen him do extraordinary acts of power. He'd commanded the weather and the waves. He'd healed the sick. He'd restored sight to the blind. He'd even raised the dead. He was the great hope, the Messiah, who would restore the fortunes of Israel. He'd even made a prophetic triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Surely the new kingdom was about to come. Then they watched in horror as it all turned to dust and ashes. They had to watch Jesus agonise in the Garden of Gethsemane over what was to come. They saw him betrayed by one of their own, watched him arrested and tortured, saw him go willingly to a criminal's death for all of us, saw his body hung on a cross for everyone who passed by to see and mock till it was taken down and buried in a borrowed tomb. At that point they scattered in fear and despair. Their world had fallen apart. The future they thought they had was in tatters. So as today's reading opens, two of Jesus' followers, both called Mary, decide to go to the place where Jesus was buried. We're told simply they went to look at the tomb. Perhaps they were in a state of shock or disbelief. Maybe they just couldn't take in the speed at which it all happened. Perhaps you can relate to that just now. Or maybe they just wanted to be near him. Something you'll understand if you've ever gone to the grave of someone you love just to feel a bit closer to them. So when the women arrived at the tomb, they found soldiers sent by Governor Pilate guarding it. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake. They saw an angel of the Lord, his appearance like lightning and his clothes white as snow, who went to the tomb, rolled back the giant stone and sat on it. The guards were so terrified that they shook and became like dead men. That's what Matthew told us. That passage is working on two levels. On one hand, it's a very vivid description of what happened at the tomb as the women arrived. But it's also doing something else. It's reaching forward and back into history to show us how these events fit into the bigger picture of our salvation story. It's a bit like the Queen's broadcast last Sunday. Did you see it? As she talked about the current crisis, she said that she was reminded of the first broadcast she ever made back in 1940 when she was a child. 
She was talking from Windsor Castle to other children who'd been evacuated from their homes. And before she signed off at the end, her final words were simply, we will meet again. We will meet again. Now to some younger people that may not have meant much, but others will instantly have had a song going round in their heads by Vera Lynn called We'll Meet Again. We'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when, but I know we'll meet again some sunny day. Keep smiling through just like you always do till the blue skies drive the dark clouds far away. That was one of the most famous songs from the time of the Second World War because it resonated with soldiers going off to fight as well as those left behind. And in that one clever phrase, the Queen both summed up the anguish of our current separation and also evoked the awful circumstances of wartime and of the fact that that too passed. And I think this one has especially spoken to the generation born closest to those times, the generation, as it happens, also most at risk in the current crisis. And it will have called out to the determination and sense of underlying hope that still pervaded those terrible years. Well, in his own way, Matthew is doing a similar number here in drawing our attention to other things. The appearance of the angel being like lightning and clothes white as snow, that evokes the appearance of Jesus at the transfiguration. It's a language designed to convey the power of God. And there are also clear parallels between this passage and Matthew's description of the death of Jesus. In both cases, the ground shook, the dead were raised, and soldiers standing by saw far more than they bargained for. And when the text of this bit of scripture said the guards shook, it's from the same root in the original Greek as earthquake. It's more like saying they, they quaked from fear. They're not just a bit scared, something really big is happening. Matthew uses the same language of the storm that Jesus calmed or the resurrection of the saints. Back in chapter 24, he says earthquakes will mark the end times when we know Jesus will return. So Matthew's making clear to the reader, God is at work here and something unprecedented has happened. So what happens to the Marys while the guards are paralysed with fear? Well, the angel talks to them directly. Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He's risen, just as he said. Look, see, the tomb is empty. That was the angel's mission. He was there to show the women the resurrection has happened, to make them the first witnesses to the most extraordinary event. The death and resurrection of Jesus sent a shockwave through space and time. The kingdom of God erupted into the middle of human history. It wasn't just that one man had returned from the dead, but death itself has been defeated. But these women must have been shell-shocked at this point. They just turned up to see the tomb and they get an earthquake, paralysed guards, an angel on a rock and an empty tomb. It's all very well saying, don't be afraid. How would you feel? Well, how did they feel? Well, Matthew tells us. He says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. I think that's the most resonant phrase in the whole of today's gospel reading. Afraid yet filled with joy. But how does that work? For Christians, Easter Sunday should be the happiest day of our year. We've mourned our way through Lent 
But now he's risen, he's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Say it all you want, hallelujah. But how do we say hallelujah when our country, the whole world, is still walking in the valley of the shadow of death? I know that some members of our next family have already lost people they loved to the virus, and I know they're grieving now. Many of us are worried about our own health or that of people we love. Some are grieving for a future that they've lost. All of us are gazing into uncertainty, because whatever comes after this, things won't be the same as they were. So how do we hold on to the deep truth of the gospel when things all around us are frightening and worrying? Well, I think first by holding on to the fact that for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been doing just that. Most of Jesus' closest disciples faced persecution and death, but they did it still praising his name. And Christians have celebrated Easter ever since, through wars, through natural disasters, through oppression, and through plagues. Today, persecuted Christians will gather in secret in many countries, risking arrest or even death, and they will say, Alleluia, he is risen. Last month, the church lost a great servant in Barbara Harris. Barbara was the first woman ever to be consecrated a bishop in the whole worldwide Anglican communion. She was the great-granddaughter of a woman born into slavery. She went on the famous civil rights march from Selma to Montgomery in pursuit of freedom for African-Americans. She broke all kinds of barriers, all of which are recounted in a memoir, which she gave a title with two words from a gospel song that she loved. Hallelujah, anyhow. The chorus of that song says, when your troubles come your way, hold your hands up high and say, hallelujah, anyhow. Hallelujah, anyhow. But hallelujah, anyhow, is not saying those troubles don't matter. It's not saying pain and loss and fear aren't real. It's saying that in all of this, God is with us. The God who created you and holds you in being hour by hour, is with you every step of the way. Hallelujah. And if we doubt this, we should look at churches in the poorest parts of the world or in war zones, or have a look at footage of black churches in Charleston, South Carolina, after a gunman massacred worshippers in church during a Bible study. If you do, you'll see people singing and praising God. Hallelujah, anyhow. Over 1600 years ago, John Chrysostom, Archbishop of Constantinople, one of the great fathers of the church, preached a famous Easter sermon in which he said this, Come you all, enter into the joy of your Lord. The table is richly loaded. Enjoy its royal banquet. Let no one grieve over his poverty, for the universal kingdom has been revealed. Let no one weep over his sins, for pardon has shone from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the death of our Saviour has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. And that is the deepest message of hope. Not only is God with us in our grief and our fear, but the death and resurrection of Jesus give hope to everyone. Death is not the end. The whole of creation will one day be restored to the way it was meant to be. And that is the hope of the world. One day, in the words of the book of Revelation, he will wipe every tear from their eyes.
there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But until that day, the God who made us and loves us will be with us every step of the way. We are held in his hand and no power of hell, no scheme of man, no virus and no social distancing can stop that. So in the weeks ahead when we're anxious or afraid, let's look at the rising sun, let's mark the rising of the sun and let us soak in the warmth of his love. Until we meet again, let's raise our voices and say, Hallelujah anyhow. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.